Leviticus begins with describing the different sacrifices the Israelites made to God. Sacrifices were performed on an altar, which was simply a raised structure used for worship and remembering God's covenant. Now, if you notice, we have an altar in our worship space, you know, like right there. Yeah, see, there it is. But in the Old Testament, what did the altar look like? Well, it turns out throughout the Bible, they were actually made from different materials and they were also different sizes. Before God gave his law to Moses, they made altars out of whatever material was available. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Gideon all built altars after having a unique encounter with God. In Exodus 20, God says that it's acceptable for an altar to be made of stone or clay, but not from silver or gold, so that we do not worship the altar. Whenever the tabernacle is built, it is made out of wood, and then it is plated in bronze. It was a box that had a grate over it, kind of like a barbecue pit, so that the burnt offerings can be laid on top, and then poles were used on the sides for carrying it. It also had four horns on the corners, which symbolized God's power and might. Now, when Solomon built the temple, he made the altar entirely out of brass, and it was huge. We're talking like 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, 15 feet tall. That's a pretty big altar. Now, it was later destroyed by the Babylonians, so whenever they rebuilt the temple, they rebuilt the altar with almost the same size as Solomon's, but Maccabees says that they used stone instead of gold, and also that it was not as splendorous as the first one. When Jesus died on the cross, he atoned for our sins, so we do not need animal sacrifices anymore. Just shortly after, in the year AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, Judaism stopped practicing animal sacrifices altogether. Today, we have an altar, as we mentioned earlier, that we use for prayer, communion, and worship. And as Christians today, we should be reminded of Romans 12.1, which calls us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So there you go, a little bit about altars, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Let me open in prayer. God, we thank you just for another opportunity to come and to gather around your word. I pray, Lord, that as people come here, that they find relationship that encourages them in their faith. I pray that they find words to study and, and through the things we talk about tonight, that they give them strength, they give them courage to face life, that they give them comfort, that the Lord just give them peace. And we know continually, Lord, that peace comes from trusting you. And so as we dig into Leviticus today, give us some things that we can just say, you are awesome, God. And may that give us comfort and strength to deal with life. And we pray that tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said. So I want to kind of start off with some perspective again for those of you who weren't here last week. Um, one of the huge takeaways that you're going to get from Leviticus is that God is serious about his law, right? He's serious about sin. He hates it. He detests it. It's a thing that separates us from God in a very real way. And so God saw that. And, and again, remember, this is all coming to him. They've just seen the mountain trembling, right? They, they've heard this voice from, from heavens. It's lightning. It's the, they're scared out of their minds. And, and they just had this experience. They, they had Moses come down and his face was white. And they're like, holy cow, what's going on? Your face is white and we're afraid and we're scared. And, and so they said, you talk to God instead. In the midst of all the stuff that's going on, Moses became the, the kind of intermediary, right? And he was conveying to the Israelites God's law, God's direction for them. He had just saved them from Israel, right? Saved them some slavery, bought them with the price, right? Took them out, gave them, or walking them to the promised land. We'll see that they had some struggles getting there. But the reality is, this was his people. 
And he says, I just want you to love me most. And that love shows itself when you obey me, right? And, and so I'm super serious about this. Sin is going to tear you guys apart. Sin is going to ruin this, this, this congregation, the, the, this people that we've got. We've got to keep sitting out. Follow me and you'll be safe. Follow me and you'll reach that blessing of the new land. Follow me and everything I promise is coming through, right? So just follow me and obey me and everything. But God knows what's in us, right? I mean, he was, he's been around the whole time. He saw Adam and Eve in the garden, kind of below it. And then he saw the whole world, right, during the time of Noah. Every inclination of their heart and mind was evil all the time. And he grieved God that he made mankind because of the sin, because of the rebellion. And he wiped it out. But he promised I'm never going to do it again, at least not with water, right? And so he starts over with Abraham, gives them the promises, finally redeems them, gets them out of Israel, makes them their people and say, okay, all the stuff that I've been promising for so long, it's time, it's go time, we're going in, follow me. But again, because he knows what's in us, because he knows we continue to have this propensity to, I don't know, think we know better, like to go our own way instead of God's way, he said, guys, when you sin, you're gonna separate yourself from me. Remember, we stood before both of those mountains, and I said, will you follow me? And you cried out, yeah, we'll follow you, right? Will you obey me? Yeah, we're going to obey you. And, and, and even Moses says, you can't do that. But, but anyway, we're, you, you're all in. All right, when you blow it, you ruin that fellowship that we have because you've broken the covenant. But because I know you're going to do that again and again, I want to provide a way for you to not just be forgiven, but to be reconciled with me again and again and again and again. I want you to know that you're my people and that I love you and that there's nothing you can do that can out my love for you. So he gave him this whole sacrificial system and it seems so weird to us today that you'd have to do it this way. But again, the reason that the blood was shed, that innocent blood was shed is because of how seriously God takes sin. He hates it. Sin demands that we die or someone die. And because of his grace, he allowed an innocent little lamb or ox or, or ram or whatever to be that perfect sacrifice or that innocent sacrifice that he would take instead of us. He, he made the people, and often, at least in the, in the burnt offering, get all messy with it too. Have them kill the, the thing and, and have them watch as the whole thing is incinerated before them except for the fat and the blood. Just so you could understand how much God hates sin. This is the punishment. We are witnessing the punishment. And yet God has redeemed me. He loves me more and has allowed this to happen so that I can be in fellowship with him. All the sacrifices that we'll go through had an element of, sacrificial, of, of sacrificing animal to be made right. We talked through the burnt offering, and I guess it just as a simple way to think about that, it's like our worship service, right? I mean, it's, it's our covenant relationship with him. We come not just to, to dig into his word, but we come, ultimately, a worship service is about being forgiven, right? Or being remi reminded that you're forgiven because of Jesus. Just think about today. You walked in, and James went through a confession, and we called absolution right where you confessed your sins and you heard God's words you're forgiven of all your sins because of Jesus awesome and then we took communion and you know communion is just hanging out with Jesus right it's he promises to be present and he promises that somehow through the body and the blood the bread and the wine his promises that we're forgiven and loved by an amazing God again I had a music minister one time I love this but she said it's like getting a hug from God and, and truly when I come up here that's what I imagine 
God giving, wrapping me up in his big arms and saying, I love you and I got you, buddy. I love you and I got you. And for whatever reason that I got you means so much to me because it just means that he's going to be there no matter what. And then he also hear the words, you're forgiven. Go now, go out and get them kind of thing. So that's what the sacrificial system was. That was the burnt offering. It was this worship service time with God, a time that we were reminded that we're forgiven by God in a very real way because of how they had to sacrifice the animal and get all bloody with it, right? And it was total and it was complete. It was saying, we worship you, you're our God. And he says, and you are my people, awesome. And then we had the the grain offering and that was kind of like a tithe offering. Um, It was the way that they supported uh, the priests. It was one of the ways that through the other sacrifices was also another way, but they supported them with their first fruits. This is what the priests and their family would live on for the most part. Um, I was super serious about this. He attaches all sorts of promises in the Old Testament and then again in the New to those that support, right, to give this first fruits of their, everything that they've made, so their first 10%, right? He attaches, if you do this, I will open up your stores to to overflowing. Again, I will bless you continually. In in Malachi 3, he says, test me in this if you don't believe me. And I'll open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you so much you can't comprehend it. It's extraordinary the promises he makes, but he does so because this was the way he designed for his ministers to be taken care of. And then he goes on to the fellowship offering. And the fellowship offering, again, started with a sacrifice of blood to make that relationship right. And then it was basically just a celebration, a thanksgiving, a, a, a time of praise, of, of, of prayer, of, serve, of sharing of all the blessings that he's given them. It was, it was a big celebration. All the feasts that they would have, and we'll learn about those later, were all about this fellowship offering. It was a time to celebrate with one another, hang out with one another. You think about uh, the upper room when Jesus was having the, the Last Supper. Um, a lot of commentators believe that that was a fellowship offering. Again, in the midst of that, this understanding of sin, right, and repentance and God forgiving you and celebrating that in the midst of the, the Passover, which is to come shortly, and, and just all those different things. And so we went through those three things, and now we're going to come up on the last two offerings or sacrifices, which is the sin and guilt offering. These were very different. The sin and, and guilt offerings always preceded the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings and the, and the grain offerings. It was a way to make right that relationship with God that had gotten broken. And the ways that these were not as common as the burnt offering, burnt offering, grain offerings, all those were the, were the most common things. Those were the regular, just like worship. But there's times when people will come into worship, still be struggling with a sin, they confess it to the Lord during confession and absolution, right? They confess it to the Lord as they come forward to experience his time with the altar. They hear words that they're forgiven and loved by Jesus, given strength to turn from that sin. But for whatever reason, when they go, they don't turn from the sin. And they still struggle with it. So God provided a sacrifice specifically for that to say, hey, we need to deal with this. And if you deal with this and come clean, right, confess your sins, I will forgive you still. But we need to deal with this because you're not getting it. You're not aligning yourself again with me. And again, I hate sin. And so that's what we're going to pick up in chapter 4 today. Uh, but I have a couple of questions. Why does God love us and die for us if we do, no- if we do nothing but take? Well, because he created us to love us. He created us to spend eternity with them. Um, think about your kids. Uh, why do you love them if they do nothing but take? Uh, 
Not my kids, my kids are different. Um, and they're here, so yeah. Um, but he loves us just because, right? We're his creation, we're his kids. He loves us because he has a parental, incredible, godly love for us, and he wants nothing more than to be with us for eternity. He knows Satan messed things up. He knows we have this propensity to continue to do the wrong thing. Think about your kids. Do they always obey? My kids do, right? But you know, other kids, they struggle with some of the rules that you set up, right? They somehow have to be punished at times. But again, God continues to come and come again to his kids, saying, I love you and I want you to be with me. Ask any parent, no matter how far their kids have gotten off the rails, and their greatest desire is for that kid to come back, to repent of their sins, to change their life, to be restored to that fellowship with you guys, right? Every parent wants it, no matter how far their kids have gotten off the rails. God has an incredible love that that dwarfs even our human parent love, but he just loves us because. And because of that, he continues to provide a way forward uh, forward towards him, right? And the way forward towards him is he does everything, essentially, and we say thank you. Again, think of your kids, okay? But even with all that love, we know people whose kids go off the rails and they don't come back. And we look around in our world today and there's a whole world of people that have gotten disenfranchised from God, don't know or have forgotten his love, chosen to go their own way and rebelled against his commands, chosen to hate him because he didn't respond the way they wanted to when they called out to him. And for all those who reject him, eventually there'll come a day where they face judgment. But for anybody who turns to him, this is how hard it is, for anybody who turns to him, there's forgiveness and love and grace in heaven. Great is the love of our God. And it's all the way in the Old Testament, all the way through the New. Next question, why did God choose Aaron and his sons and descendants to serve him and serve his house? Why not someone else and their descendants? Well, there's probably a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is, is early on, uh, Levi was a mess. He and Simeon, if you remember the kids of, uh, of, Joseph, of Jacob, um, they, they were instigators, at least Simeon was, and you figure Levi was right there with him when they, when they sold Joseph off into, into slavery. They, they were, Levi and Simeon were the ones that went and they, they wiped out a whole town and kind of threw ruse, but wiped out the whole town, all the males, and killed them and took everything because, well, I mean, not, not, they were without sin, but one of the guys in the town raped their sister, so they were getting even. They thought, oh, we'll just kill, kill them all, right? That won't happen again, I, you know. So they were kind of... Uh, angry guys, right? Vicious people. Um, didn't always have the, the good of God in mind as they, as they kind of went about life. And at Jacob's death, he prophesied to their future. And he essentially told them that they would have no real share in Israel, right? And, and, and Simeon's w- did have a share. They had a little small spot that was eventually um, taken in by all of Judah, right? But just at the very beginning, a very small spot, and they were very few in number. And Levi was given the priesthood, okay? Not casting them out, but certainly giving a, a different role. And they owned no land in Israel. They just, they were in the cities. They owned their home in the cities and they ministered before the Lord. And they were taken care of because they didn't have land to farm and all those things. They were taken care of completely by the people of Israel. So that's part of the prophecy that indicated that they would have a different role in Israel maybe than the rest. Um, 
Aaron was his brother. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why he got the high priesthood. I don't know. Uh, but that's kind of the answer to that. Is the peace offering the same as the fellowship offering? Uh, yes. Uh, just two different words for it as we go through Scripture. Uh, but both are that, that celebration time. God has forgiven us. We celebrate. All the festivals revolved around this particular feast or this particular sacrifice. All right. Chapter, chapter 4, we begin talking about the sin offerings. Now, I want you to notice something very, in, very particular as we go through this. And I'm just going to read just portions of it today. I love Leviticus. I really do. But sometimes it's a dry read and it repeats itself. So forgive me if I'm going to skip over a little bit. I invite you guys to go back and read over and over and over all that stuff because it is truly awesome. But in chapter 4, verse 1, I'll just pick up. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them, and I'll stop there. In other words, he's saying, Bring an offering to the Lord. Now, this unintentionally theme is going to go over and over and over when it comes to this sin offering. So, to be fair, most of the times that we sin, it's unintentional. Unintentional means it wasn't premeditated. It was uh, because of weak character. It was because of a lack of strength. It's because we succumbed at the moment to whatever temptation. It was not something that we planned going in. It was a response to our sin and, and that's within us, right? And we, we gave in at the moment or whatever the deal was. But again, not premeditated. Uh, God draws a very distinct line between premeditated sin and unintentional sin. Think about murder just for a second. There's premeditated murder, very bad. You get a different kind of sentence for that. Unintentional murder or, or manslaughter, whatever it is, you get a little different kind of, of read on that. God very much dis distinguishes between the attitude of the heart. One is lack of character, weakness, fallen short. One is outright rebellion. I'm planning to do this. I'm going to do this acting through with it, and God just judges differently between those two. And the sin offering is for those that just blew it. Again, most of our sin is unintentional. Most of the time, we're not trying to tick God off. Is that true? I mean, just in general, that's a good way to live life. Don't try to upset him, right? But, but most of the time, it's not because we're just going headlong into it, knowing that we're rebelling, knowing that we're hating God as we're going forward. It's, it's more of a response to the weakness that's in us. So anyway, if we do this, and then he talks about different people that might unintentionally sin. And in verse 3 it says, If it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull into the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And it goes on. So one of the reasons he picks out the anointed priest is that God very much looks at the priests differently than he looks at the rest of the people. Even in the New Testament, he says, not everybody should aspire to be a pastor or an elder of the church because they are held under double judgment, right? They're, they're held under a stricter judgment because what they do often and necessarily affects the people that they serve. Think about today. Um, pastor blows it and gets caught in whatever, you know, just pick one of the things that's happened in recent, uh, recent history. And you see all of his sin exposed before everybody. Most of the time it means the end of his ministry because either the congregation can't forgive or they can't forgive enough to hear again. And what's important about hearing the pastor is to be connected with his word. 
But if you stop trusting him because of the sin in his life, if you can't forgive and move past it, it just destroys. And the problem is it destroys the faith of so many people. Think the Catholic Church right now. And it's not just one, it's a bunch of them. But, but think about the damage that's done to people's souls. And, and again, it was a weakness in them. Or, or, or I'm sure some of it premeditated, it sounds like. But the reality is it should have been fixed. There's a leadership issue or whatever. But it came out. And not only does it affect all the ones that they've hurt, but it affects all the people going to church now. Needing to hear a message from Jesus, a message from God's word, a message of truth. And instead of thinking that, getting caught up in all the stuff that's going on. God views pastors, priests in this day very differently because they were the holders of God's gifts, right? I mean, they, they are the ones that dispense the forgiveness of sins that made you guys right with God. God says, don't mess with that. In fact, all the way through Leviticus, he's pretty hard on them. He goes, I want you to do it this way, all right? And if they try to do it a different way, no, that was no good. I need you to do it this way. Aaron's two sons said, I want to try a different kind of offering before the Lord. They might have also been a little drunk, but either way, right? They tried to do something different, and God, God smote them. I mean, they were done. God took a very serious line when it came to ministering to his people, and he says, I need you to do it. And so oftentimes the priests trying to do their business, right, they would get it wrong. And they didn't mean to do it wrong, but they unintentionally did something wrong. And when they did, they'd have to go before the Lord to do a sin offering. And here's the other part. If you read, remember the last part, they'd go with the bull, most expensive thing you could bring, right? God says, you guys really blew it. You're bringing a bull. So they brought a bull. They laid their hands upon the bull, associating with their sin. And they confessed their sin before anybody was there. So it's forgiveness in a whole, or confession at least, in a whole different light. How many of you guys would like if you, to be forgiven by God to come forward before everybody and say, hey guys, <laughs> I blew it, and tell everybody what you did? And it, it, it would really be, if we did it right, pretty cathartic, right? Because you would confess this most horrible thing, assure of just judgment from everybody in the stands, but together you would say, you're forgiven in Jesus' name, and we love you, Right? Now go out and get them and just give them applause or whatever. But so instead of being condemned because of Jesus, you had a group of people that loved you and cared for you and would proclaim to you the forgiveness of God. I mean, if we could do that, that'd be awesome. And not, I mean, we could do it, but not everybody in church could do it, right? And, and, and so that's why we don't do that on Sunday morning. But think about the power of that. Not just a one-on-one with God where you know he's forgiven you, but the power of no, I don't have to hide it and I don't have to be ashamed because everybody else knew what I did and yet because of Jesus, they forgave me too. Think about the power of that. It's extraordinary. But anyway, I, I was thinking about when I was first uh, learning to be a pastor and um, we had this class called worship and I had a horrible professor and so I actually learned how to do liturgy via video from a kid that was a classmate in the class ahead of me and so we tried to learn how to do it and we were trying to figure it out and we got graded on it and stuff and I just remember my first year and my vicarage year which is like an internship I went out I did liturgy wrong every single time I did something wrong and I was thinking if I was back then I would have been upset right why did you do this wrong why did you forget offering again I mean why did you do you know I mean it was it was hard and yet these guys were held to that standard then he goes on and he and he talks about a different group and he says um, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and then they realize their guilt 
When the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for the sin offering and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation, their leaders, shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So it goes down to the second biggest thing, and this is the congregation or the people. And the people necessarily can cause difficulty for people's faith, can't they? You think about sometimes, in a, not our congregation, but, but sometimes in congregations, there's, there's infighting, there's slander, there's gossip, there's rudeness, there's a dispassionate care, there's, there's all sorts of things because we're a house of sinners, right? I mean, we are a hospital for sinners. We're not a house of saints. We come here to be forgiven for the mess that we are. But sometimes even while we're here, We can do some of the most horrific things to the people that come to hear God's word. And when we do, we can hurt the faith of those that come in these doors. Again, we talked about one of the reasons we we took away the the greeting for a period of time. It's because we went through a series uh, of weeks there where it seemed like every week somebody was offending somebody new at our church. Not turning around and greeting or just looking at them and, and turning back the other way. Uh, another person just, just outright laughing at somebody because they weren't singing right. Uh, just, a, just a series of cavalcade of things week after week. And we thought, it's just better if we take this away, we'll stop offending people, right? At least then it has to be pastor that offends them. That, you know, and I do enough of that anyway, right? But, but the reality is we just wanted to take that away. And I love that you guys wanted to bring it back. But I love that we brought it back in a way that said we need to care about the people that come. Congregations, they can sin unintentionally. I'll give you some more, too. Those are just things that we should all know better of. But, but what if God judged us for not tithing? Right? The average tithe of the t- average church member in a church in America, this is like 15 years ago, was 3%. It's probably less now. We live in Arizona, so probably even less than that. What if God said, hey, you're not taking care of putting me first in the area of finances? I'm going to hold you accountable. What if he says, you're not meditating on my word all the time? I mean, you guys are. You're here on a Sunday night. But, but what if not everybody here is digging into God's word and, and trying to hear his voice? What if the, nobody's praying? God calls us to pray continually. What if uh, nobody's sharing their faith? Ooh, that was a little closer, right? Because of the hostile world that we live in and nobody's excited enough about Jesus to want other people in heaven. What's going on? And what if these I call Christian sins, right? But, but what if God held us accountable for those things and we became aware of it? Would it change your perspective on how seriously God takes his commands? I think that's a weakness in today's world from this world. And God was emphasizing it to the, to the people of Israel in a very stark way. They had not been used to following anybody. Now they were learning what it looked like to follow God. But I think we take God, Jesus' forgiveness so much for granted that we're like, ah, yeah, it was wrong, but it's cool. Jesus forgives me, right? And, and we don't take it to heart or we say, I like most of what Jesus says, but I don't like this one, so I'm just not going to do it. And I think it's cool because I'll find somebody that tell me it's right and it'll be fine. And, but I just don't think we always take to heart as, and look at our sin in as serious a way that as God does. In as serious a way that that's the reason why you know, Jesus had to die for us. Right? And so that's one of the things that he's bringing out here. And so if the whole congregation messes up and is found guilty of a sin, and, and that usually resulted in consequence to Israel, they would come, right, in a very public way, and they would come and do a sin offering. And then all the leaders would own whatever the sin was, even if they hadn't been involved. The congregation had. And they would confess it for all to hear. 
And the amazing thing about God is he forgave. That that was sufficient. That's it. God didn't look into their hearts and say, are you super, super, super sorry? Or just a little. He just said, that's sufficient. You think about a pastor that would let you down. Could you forgive? Or how about a person that turned around and told you to be quiet because your kid was screaming or something like that? Could you forgive? Each and every time you would come and you would give that sin offering and make that confession of, I'm sorry, I'll try never to do it again, right? God forgives every time. And because of Jesus, he still forgives over and over and over. That completely, that universally, it's not anything he will remember again. It's awesome. Then he goes on and says, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally any any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as an offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill all the burnt offerings before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And so the leaders only needed to bring a goat. It didn't need to be a, an ox because it wasn't necessarily going to affect the hearts or the faith of the people of Israel, but they're clearly blowing it, probably going a, a wrong way. They needed to confess their sin before the Lord, get, right, get back on a right path, and they would be completely forgiven as well. And I was trying to think of a, a contemporary example that I thought illustrated this. And so I'm going to give you one, and I'm going to risk a little bit of whatever here, and I don't mean to be political and all, I, but I'm going to bring up President Obama, and you may love him, and I, and I love that, or you may not like him, and, I, and, I, and that's fine as well, but, but one of the things he did in his second campaign, and during one of his speeches, um, he changed the dialogue in our country forever when it came to the topic of homosexuality, and he changed it from a sin conversation to a civil rights conversation. And the conversation's never been the same since. And as a result, people have struggled with God's word over this. Um, Christians struggled over God's word on this. God's word hasn't changed, but the conversation has. And so more and more people struggle. And it's caused some to lose their faith, to walk away from truth over those years. So let's say he became aware. He didn't mean to do it. He's running for office. He had a different agenda, right? He was supporting his base, all those different things. Okay. It wasn't intentionally meant to tick God off. And so he becomes aware of it as a leader, and he confesses that sin, and God says, you're forgiven. Can you forgive leaders, whether it be him, President Trump, anybody, can you forgive leaders upon repentance even in spite of damage that might have been done. God can, and he does every single time. It's extraordinary, but, but leaders do matter, and they can cause a nation all the way through, all the way through the, the Samuel and Kings and, and, and Chronicles. You see the nation of Israel's history, and you see one king after another turning away from God's truth, leading his people into harm's way, leading them away from him. And this was a big deal, and it happened again and again and again until God had to intervene. Think judges, think all the way through the kingships of Israel, and even in Judah, again and again, he had to have them overrun by armies, or he had to discipline them with plague, or he had to do whatever to get their attention again, to have them return to him. And so leaders were a big deal, and they were separated out, and they said, if you become aware of your sin, come and repent, and I will forgive. Again, publicly, But just think if you could hear President Trump or anybody come and publicly say, man, I'm sorry. 
I did not mean to do that, or I did not mean to say that, or I did not mean to, I am sorry, you know, and, and no buts. I'm, I'm not sorry but, or I'm not sorry although, or I'm not sorry and this was my reason, but just I'm sorry. Would it make a difference? It should. Because you're a believer in Jesus, because that's what he died for you for, I think forgiveness is just as hard as confession for a lot of people. Some people can confess, but they can't forgive. They like to hold the grudge. He goes on and it gives us a, another one in chapter 4, verse 27. It says, If the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of these things that by the Lord's command ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. God actually has a sliding scale. If you couldn't afford the goat, he gave some other things, right? So these were the people. And he gave it to them as a vehicle of saying, look, when you become aware of one of those sins and you're just, come to me and be forgiven. Come to me, sacrifice the animal and be forgiven. And again, publicly testify, this is the sin that I committed against you. Again, I want you to think that in, ter- in practical terms. What if you were there with your spouse and they brought the guilt offering and you're like, what did they do, you know? And they confess, I know I've been on that website again. I've been struggling with, with porn and God, I want to change that. If you're the wife, could you forgive? God does. God is an amazing forgiver and he forgives completely. But this matters when you confess to him He alone sees the heart. He alone knows if that repentance is real. But he forgives completely upon that, I'm sorry. It's extraordinary. And that's why he gave this sin offering to the people of Israel. I don't want you carrying your guilt. I don't want you beating yourself up over and over. I just want you to amend your ways and fix it and be forgiven for unintentional sin, right? He goes on in chapter 5 and talks a little bit about uh, sins of omission, and he goes on and says that there's actually four, and you find that between verse 1 and verse 2. And I'll just kind of summarize. You could be, uh, what if you forgot to testify or you didn't testify under oath, so you're withholding evidence. God viewed that as a very serious crime. Today you think you see somebody, you see a hit and run, but you, you don't stop to report it. You think, oh, I'm late for a meeting, so you just keep going. God views that seriously. That's a sin. Uh, touching an unclean animal or an unclean human. We'll get into that uncleanness later on in, the, in, in Leviticus, but that was a deal too. Um, and also improper oath or a thoughtless oath. Okay, sins of omission. You should have known better. You should have not done it, right? You should have testified. You should have not taken the oath. You should have then cleansed yourself from that uncleanness, all the different things, but you didn't. It was a sin of omission, And God says you can come to me with those sins of omission once they're made known to you and be forgiven and be cleansed and be healed. There's, often, there's different illustrations of someone that wasn't clean that tried to come into the, the thing and God got mad, right? He said, why did you come into my temple unclean? That's not okay. And, and he got mad and the person was disciplined. God took even the uncleanness law seriously. And so all these things, he says, come to me and be forgiven. And then there's this guilt offering. You think, well, that seems redundant, right? Why, why this guilt offering? And it's given for very specific things. Um, the guilt offering was given first and foremost, you see in verse 14, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, and it goes on. And so for the priests, if they sinned against any of the holy things, 
and for whatever reason weren't destroyed by God, right? Like uh, Aaron's kids. But if they sinned against any of the holy things, they didn't do things right, they, and it could even have been on purpose, right? It, but usually God viewed the on purpose stuff different. But, but they sinned against the holy things in some way. He says, I need you to bring a guilt offering for you are guilty before me for not being obedient to my call to you. And they had to do it, lest they be held in judgment by God. They are also precluded from being and doing their rights until they would accomplish them. In verse 17, if anyone sins doing any of these things that the Lord commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it. So sins of, I didn't know I was doing it, right? Um, so I didn't see the, the speed limit sign change from 65 to 35, officer. Um, and you didn't, I guess, for whatever reason, and you get caught and they still gave you the ticket, right? Because you were still going way over the speed limit. But you didn't mean to. It wasn't intentional. It, guilt offering was for you. And then it gets a little crazy in chapter 6, verse 1. And I just want to finish this one part here. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery or he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any and all of the things that people do and sin, thereby if he has sinned and realizes his guilt and will restore what he took in robbery or what he got in the oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything which he had sworn falsely by Bring an offering to the Lord and you'll be forgiven, essentially. This is the only thing that is a little bit different because we've talked about unintentional. We've talked about sins you didn't know about. We've talked about uh, sins to get the holy place, all those different things. Here he's talking about deliberate sin for the first time. The laws that we'll get into in the weeks ahead, God is very specific and the only punishment for some sins is death rid the earth of evil, right? And unless you think that's too hard, that's what he does at the end times, right? He rids the earth of evil and sets up the new heaven and new earth and the two are separated, one in hell, one in, in heaven for eternity or the new heaven and new earth. And, um, but God, again, hates sin and eventually he wants his people to be removed from that sin forever, right? And so, <clears throat> again, this was a deliberate sin, but it was very focused deliberate sin uh, it was talking about lying and stealing and oppression and things like that. For the things in the law that were not condemned by death, the guilt offering was for them. And being made aware of the deliberate sin that you committed against somebody, God even had grace for you. And you were able to bring that guilt offering before the Lord, <laughs> confess it publicly again, and find forgiveness. Again, that was not true in every case. There's a lot of cases where the punishment was death, and rightly so. God was ridding the earth of evil, ridding his people from those that would affect it in a negative way, take it astray. But even God, in some cases, when our hearts are deliberately bent on evil, offers us forgiveness. Today, as we look at Jesus, and we looked at the intentional sins that were committed against him on the cross, we have a God that you just can't out sin his grace today. Jesus' forgiveness is different from the sacrificial system in the sense that it is complete, it is forever, and it's for you. You cannot out sin his grace, but he does call us to repent. 
He does call us to continue to get up off the mat after we've blown it, receive that forgiveness, and keep on trying to follow him. And again, objectively, if we could just to take a step back, if we believe that he loves us that much, if we believe that he created us, if we believe that everything he's done is trying to give us the safest possible way forward, then why in the world wouldn't we trust him and want to follow him just objectively? Well, we wouldn't. We'd always want to follow him. And yet the sin within us causes us to think crazy at times and think we have a better way or we know he says wrong, we just want to do this over here. But the spirit within us continues to call us to account, continues to drive us to repentance. And every time we call out to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, he says, I forgive you. Great is the love of our God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, we love you so much, and thank you for being with us as we're going through Leviticus. The, the sacrificial system is a dry read, but man, is it powerful in the sense that it, it shares with us a bunch about what Jesus did finally for us on the cross. This was a way for you to share with your, with the, your people, Israel, that you love them, that there was a way to be in fellowship with you, that there was a way to be forgiven, that there was a way to always be in, 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 in concord with you in the sense that you were their God and they were your people. Today we thank you for Jesus because his forgiveness is even more complete than this system. <laughs> you, you call out to a rebellious people so often and yet you continue to shout out to us with your love. Continue to heal us with your forgiveness. Continue to wash away the sin and comfort us in our despair. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus today and we thank you for loving us the way our parents did, but more. Thank you for the love of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.